other fill in. So let's open with a word of prayer. Gracious God, thank you that we are here. Still my thoughts, slow my speech. And Lord, speak, um, speak your word to all who would listen through me and in spite of me, that they might grow to know you better in order to love you more, that you would be glorified in our midst. These things we pray through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Okay, I began this series by saying that we are living in a time of division, and um, there's a lot of distrust There's a lot in our society. There's a lot of hostility in our society. All you have to do is read any article online in the comments. Man, we are brutal toward one another. And, um, you know, I think that is especially true. This division is especially true in the public square, right? I mean, that's out in public. In private, we can get along, I think, for the most part, so long as we maintain superficial relationships. Anybody have somebody in your family you don't talk about things with? Yeah, okay. What is at stake is there's a deep conflict in the way that we view the world around us, deep conflict in how we perceive the world. And the truth of the matter is that most of us muddle around somewhere in the middle. We don't understand all the contours of the debate. We don't understand who we're supposed to be. We don't know who's right and who's wrong. So most of us are often confused by, I don't know, it's hard to discern what's, what, what we should choose or how we should go. Now, I've picked a video here. Good. Y'all, I know you want to see me better. I've got a video here, and it's, and it's, by, a, it's by a man who works for the Center for Renewing America. He is a fellow there. It is not a Christian video, and we're only going to show six minutes of it. He is talking about um, American culture. He's talking about um, post-modernity, a post-modern period. He's also talking about... Um, critical race theory in our culture, which we've all heard a lot about. He's talking about woke culture. And he goes by a pseudonym named Wokal Distance, okay? And it's a combination of being woke and being, I want to say, social distancing, because he started really picking up steam at the beginning of the COVID pandemic. So and all this social distance stuff, and he was talking about woke ideologies and things like that were going to be woke, right? And so... He's an interesting bird, and, and in spite of how he appears, I want you to know he's very well educated. And he had, there's a second video with him, and they have cleaned him up and you know cut his hair and put him in a tie and all kind of stuff like that. But on this first video, the scene out when I'm not interested in the whole video, there is a section that I want you to watch. It's six minutes long, okay? And he, he's got a theological background, but this is not a theological um, discussion at all. He's talking about something else. All right. The interview is not about Christianity, it's about culture. I want us to watch that. I don't know what I'm supposed to do next, but go ahead and watch it. You got it set up? Ready to go? Go. Right. Yep, didn't I tell you? Can you make that full screen, please? From uh, a French philosopher named Jean Baudrillard, who was writing in the 60s, 70s, and 80s. Baudrillard is a fascinating figure. He is a, a sociologist by training, but he's deeply, deeply cynical of what's going on. Here, here's the example I use. I want you to imagine for a second a strawberry. Suppose that you are walking through, we'll say, a field, and you come across wild strawberries. You pick one up, it's red, it's kind of funny shaped, and you eat it, and it's delicious and it's wonderful. That wild strawberry is real. It's nourishing, it's part of the natural environment. That strawberry is real. So sometimes it goes by and people see that these wild strawberries grow, and someone says, hey, why don't we just take the seeds? 
plant all the seeds out, we'll grow them, and then oh, we'll have strawberries all the time. Some time goes by and somebody goes, you know what we can do? We can just take the seeds from only the best strawberries and we'll just plant those seeds so that the only strawberries that get grown are the biggest, reddest, juiciest strawberries. Well, someone else comes along and says, you know what we can do? We can mash these strawberries up and we can turn them into pie. Oh, okay, that's a pretty good idea. Then someone says, you know what we can do? We can actually take the stuff that we made the pie out of and we can mash it up and we can make a little strawberry candy. And that's pretty good. We can make a candy. Well, then someone comes also and looks, comes, someone else comes along and they look at the candy and they say, well, what we can do is we can actually just extract the strawberry flavoring from the candy and, and we can make a Jolly Rancher or some strawberry gum. And that's pretty good. And then someone else says, you know, what we can do is we can actually just, rather than using the real strawberry extract, we can make a synthetic strawberry extract. We can, we can make it using high fructose corn syrup and some cane sugar and some other flavorings. And, and we don't even need the real strawberries. We can just make a synthetic strawberry flavoring and we can make candies out of that. And then someone takes the synthetically flavored strawberry candies and says, you know what? We can take that flavoring and we can make a strawberry soda. And then someone else comes along and says, you know what? We can make a Slurpee that tastes like the strawberry soda. Mm -hmm. And so we start out with a wild strawberry and we end up with the Slurpee. Now you can imagine I have a son. Um, I, I'm walking with my son and I give him a strawberry Slurpee and we're walking with the strawberry Slurpee and he's drinking the strawberry Slurpee. And while we're walking, we come across a patch of wild strawberries. And he looks at the wild strawberries, picks one up and he eats it. And he goes, he says, you know, dad, this kind of tastes like my drink. But I like the drink better. It's much tastier, Dad. We don't need these. These aren't real strawberries. This is a real strawberry. And and that's what Baudrillard thinks has happened. Baudrillard thinks that what we've done is we have taken everything that exists, our whole human experience, and we've processed it, and we've distilled it, and we've changed it, and we've extracted it, and we've turned it into the strawberry slurpee equivalent of reality. And you could think about this, an easy way to think about this is, is look at social media. Take Instagram, for example. You know, 100 years ago, when they first invented the picture, you just had a picture of somebody. It was black and white. And then there was a picture of people in color, and that's what they looked like. And then somebody invented makeup. And then somebody else came along and invented fancy lighting. And then somebody came along and invented fancy cameras. And then somebody came along and invented Photoshop. And then someone came along and invented airbrushing. Then someone came along and invented plastic surgery. We're at the point now where we can see people on Instagram that nobody looks like. Even the person who it's a picture of doesn't even look like that because they're covered with so many layers of makeup and with filters and with everything else that the image isn't real. So he thinks that this is what's happened with everything, that we're left now in a world of appearances where we no longer have real newsmen anymore. He said, at one time we had people who would read the news and give you just the facts. Now you have a bunch of people who will give you a, uh, they will selectively edit the facts to tell their own opinion and then they'll layer it thickly with their own editorializing to the point where when it's done, you have no idea what the actual facts are. 
We used to get the facts. We don't get the facts anymore. We just get various opinions. And so you have one guy in one channel and he's just giving his opinion. You have another guy on his channel and he's just giving his opinion and who knows what's true because the art of real journalism, of authentic journalism, of truth telling and fact collection is gone and it's been replaced by people who have um, put on TV something that looks like journalism but is in fact just editorializing. And he thinks that we've done this with pretty much everything. He thinks that all of the authentic, real ways in which humans have gotten along with each other have been processed and faked to create the kind of strawberry slurpy version of the real thing. You know, you can use food for an example. Um, how much real food is in a fruit roll-up? And he thinks that we haven't just done that with, you know, like fruit roll-ups and diet pop. He thinks we've done that with reality itself, with our truth-making institutions. We no longer have real professors who teach real truth about real morality and about real good art to students so that the students can learn what is really true and good and beautiful. He thinks we have professors who are standing up and doing something that looks like that, but really it's something else. We have an artificial fake copy of the real thing. That's what he believes. And what he actually thinks and this is the hard it's not just political theater it's beyond that he doesn't just think that we've created the strawberry slurpee he thinks that the wild strawberries are gone that we can't find them anymore that we don't know where they are so his contention is even if we wanted to go back to real journalism we don't have a reference for what that would be and what that would look like Nobody knows how to go back and be, you know, the sort of Walter Cronkite of the day. Nobody know that that doesn't exist. Nobody knows how to how to make um, real foods or how to take real pictures of real humans and post them in a way that's an accurate representation of what they would really look like. All of that is gone. Now the veneer, that fake copy of the real thing, is all we have left. We don't have the real thing anymore. We don't know how to do that. So how do the... Okay, that's where I wanted to, sorry. It talks about the inauthenticity of, and it's an interesting interview, but none of it has anything to do with what we're talking about now any further. I mean, well, it probably does, but tangentially. What I want you to see, though, is the comparison that he makes, because I think he is fundamentally correct. And as a Christian, as Christians, we ought to know that automatically or instinctively that we are not fully authentic. We are created to be in communion and fellowship with God. I mean, if you look back to Genesis 1 and 2, what are we for? What do we exist for? For fellowship with God, to be um, pure and holy and good, to be um, in, in, in the presence of God. God created creatures of life in Adam and Eve, in the first, in the first creature. They were creatures of life who wagered death because they did not know what, what, what it was. They had never seen it. And we are creatures of death who wager life all the time because we have no idea what it really is. So to be authentic then is to be fully alive in Jesus Christ. That's the only possibility that we can, re be re we can return and be restored to who and what we are supposed to be. Does that make sense? We are supposed to be fully alive. And how many of us, we, we joked about it last time, how many of us are aging and dying? Oh, my goodness. You know, are we not approaching that way? The goal is to be alive and fully so. We're creatures of life in Christ. Instead, we buy into death all the time. 
What he says, though, is also important about the inauthentic nature of the nation in which we live. If we're going to be in a divided nation, let us at least understand what we are divided about, right? You know, we are living in a world that is not real any longer. It's not really real. It never really was because it all because the, because evil moves across the land. And that and that true? Because sin changes all of us from what God intended us to be, right? But now things are a little bit different. And, we're gonna, and I want to try to connect some great big jumps here for, so that we can try to understand ourselves where we are better. Because I think that we need to reclaim authentic Christianity in ways that are life-giving for us and are a beacon of hope to the world around us. You know, when we know as a, as a society, we look around, we no longer know what is real. We look at the prominent issues in our society today, for example, right? What is it to be blessed? Is it not to be wealthy and safe? Isn't that a blessing? Is that how the Bible defines blessing? It is not how the Bible defines blessing. But that's how we do, right? Friendship. We all have friendship. Those are great things. What is friendship? Is it not social media? I mean, that's what he's talking about. I told Bert one, I don't know, several months ago, long, long as a while back, um, we were discussing uh, social media, and I talked about the the problem of social media and the illusion of social media and how harmful that is for our young people. He and I were just having this discussion in general, and I said, you know, if you go look, it was just my son's birthday. So it was December, it just been my son's birthday, and I said, so I put these pictures of him up on the on my Facebook page, right? And there are all these pictures from him growing up. It was lovely. It was great. This church, that church, you know, whatever. And, and you can see all these smiling, happy faces. The truth matter is, though, and my son was a drug addict for 25 years. It was hellish at best. At best, it was hellish. But if you look at my Facebook page, there are lots of smiles. Everybody looks good. And we're all dressed nice. And life is wonderful. You have not lived until you need to get your, your vehicle out of, out of the out of a, a pound where the police have hauled it so you can be to church on time to preach. Let me tell you, that's the way to go. You're supposed to laugh at that. I mean, like, whoop, he's a good man today. But it took a lot of years to get there. A lot of years. Right? Friendship, social media. How fake is social media? We think about love. Oh, you know, and love is a great thing, is it not? But now then, love is equated with sex. That's what it is. It's just sex. Um, I, uh, a, a young woman I know, absolutely lovely, you know. Um, and what she wants is to be married and to have children. So she has sex with the man she likes and hopes to love and probably does love now. And I pray it works out because she's precious. But the world said, this is how, this is what love is. You start with sex. Is that right? No. Deepest form of, of physical intimacy before you know a person well? That's the world we live in. Womanhood is the right to abortion. I find that to be astonishing. Womanhood is the right to abortion. The, the ability to create life with God, to bring forth life. How can we define ourselves with the complete opposite? I'm not saying. I just, I find it astounding. And for most of us, here's what I want, uh, what we need to understand most of all, that Christianity today means being an American. So if you're an American, you're a Christian. And I think that is false as well. 
I uh, had coffee with Jim Welch not all that long ago. I mean, several months ago, whatever. And we were talking about these topics because I always think about these topics and we always talk about these topics. And um, he said, uh, I said to him, I said, you know, I said, Christianity does not need America to survive, but America must have Christianity to survive. And he said, amen. That's true. What I would say to you when you listen to this and you talk about the inauthenticity of our culture, the, 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 the superficiality of it, the fakeness of it, the ways in which we deceive ourselves and we've completely turned everything upside down, right, in our culture today. When we look at that, it is a clarion call to the church to be Christian again, to raise up Jesus Christ and to live that fully in him, to be more alive in him so that we can, we can, um, we can be the light on the hill for all the world to see, right? It is not a time for us to capitulate to the world and call ourselves wise while we do so. I want us to go back and look at Romans 1, where I started the first passage in Romans 1. And I read it before. It is um, Romans 1, 18 through 23. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. In the things that have been made, oops, in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him for they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Think about the images he was just talking about on Photoshop. We got pictures of people that, that, no, that don't even exist. No one would recognize they're not even the same person. They've been changed around. How can you be any more, you know, like um, exchange, you want to say, what does it say? The images, there's just an image that resembles, resembles mortality. They're not even a mortal being. It's just an image that sort of thinks, looks kind of mortal, whatever. And we're worshiping that. It's the Facebook picture of the, the wonderful childhood bringing up my son. <laughs> Was not wonderful. Okay. Throughout all of this whole thing, it talks about what our minds are like. And so before we go any further, I want to connect that to a very crucial thing, a very crucial movement in the way that we think today. And it preceded all of us by hundreds of years, but it is critical for us to understand how we got to where we are today. And um, it's, not a, it's not a name that everybody is real familiar with. And y'all, if you know more about this man than I, jump in, feel free. But Francis Bacon lived in the, 50, in the 16th and 17th century. He died in 1626. He's considered the father of modern philosophy, right? I like philosophy. It's really kind of dull, but anyway. He's also considered by some as the father of, of modern science because he talks about um, understanding the natural world and, and pursuing and, and, and studying the natural world a great deal. But in, 19, in 1620, he wrote The Great Instauration. And I want to read a quote from there. And he was a prolific writer. I, I mean, this is only a snippet, all right? And I, and I want to say that his, his writings were complex, but this is a crucial point that he makes in this, in this reading. It's just one little quote. There was but one course left, therefore, after he's reviewed all the, everything that's gone before. Right? 
to try the whole thing anew upon a better plan. And so to commence a total reconstruction of the sciences, the arts, and all human knowledge raised upon the proper foundation. There is but one course left, therefore, to try the whole thing anew upon a better plan and to commence a total reconstruction of the sciences, arts, and all human knowledge raised upon the proper foundation. Do you know what's not mentioned there? Who can tell me what's not mentioned there? God is not mentioned there at all. In fact, that was what is a, that's the crucial turning point that I want you to see. Modern thought, enlightenment thought, turns on the notion that human knowledge can attain all that we need to know. That we can, we can understand all of nature. We can, under, we can create science. In fact, Bacon argued specifically that we were not to have uh, dominion over science, but we were to control it and alter it and make it work for us. The natural world was to work for us. Okay, instead of being dominions and caretakers of the natural world, the natural world belongs to us. And I want you to remember last week we talked about Cain, remember, in the flood and how the created world destroyed Cain. We ought to wake up. There's a warning there for us. There might not be another flood coming, but I'm telling you, you can't control nature. It's not possible. We can do little things, but we can't do much. This marks a turning point in Western civilization, the world in which we live today. He's talking about science and art and knowledge without reference to God at all. None. There is no reference to God. Now, Bacon was a devout Christian. He, he really was. He was a member of the Church of England to the day he died. I mean, you know, he, he believed in God, all that kind of stuff. He'd never understood where these thoughts were going to take all of us, absent God. Okay? You know? This is a turning point. When, it, the, when, when you leave out the author of all creation, how are you going to understand creation at all? How is it that when we say we're going to know everything, all of our knowledge, all of our science, all of our art, everything, all human knowledge, without reference to God, how is that not Genesis 3? You know what? We can have all knowledge like God and we don't need God. How is that not Genesis 3? How is it not the temptation? And I think this is the most crucial fact of our society today is that we don't understand, for instance, the late 16th century, early 17th century, we have been working systematically in the West to have all sorts of knowledge without God. And how can you know anything apart from the one who created it? The, one, the source of all knowledge, the source of all truth. How do we know those things? How can we claim to have anything perfected? Right? The whole Western world is built upon this knowledge that we can attain. I mean, the idea that we can attain all knowledge apart from God. So if you want to understand what's happening in our society today, you have to understand that the origin, you know, of all that we call knowledge and wisdom is not God. It is not our creator. No, the origin of all knowledge today is from some man someplace or a man or a woman who didn't even create his own brain. You know? Scientists understand eye color and think they know a great deal but they can't really change their eye color, can they? Who can add a, you know, an inch to their height? Who can do that? Well, we understand how you get height, don't we? Know all about genetics, don't we? Okay. 
we are playing a very dangerous game in our society today. And I think it's, I think it's important for Christians to understand this. We're playing a very dangerous game in our society and we're doing so with great conceit. It's just no limits. There are no bounds to our conceit. We are manipulating creation in ways that God never intended for it to be manipulated. I want to return to a text in Romans after I get a drink of water. <coughs> it actually matches what was said in the video if we look at the text in Romans. The suppression of the truth, for example. And I think this is true on both sides. You know, like um, later in this interview that he's talking about the, what is the young man who, the Rittenberg, what is his name, what, the Rittenhouse, Ritterhouse, whatever the name is. And he said he was simultaneously watching two news channels, one conservative, one, and they were building, and one was a liberal, and he said they were building two different narratives. And he's watching it live occurring, and they're building two completely different stories, okay, about what was happening. Kyle Rittenhouse was his name, isn't that right? Okay, at the same time. So he flips back and forth, and he's watching both channels. And, and it, the point is that we're suppressing the truth on both sides, okay? And actually, in that one, he said it didn't take long to figure out what actually happened versus what was being said, right? Anyway, um, the suppression of the truth. We've exchanged the glory of the immortal God for created things. Think about the worship of the self, the worship of our animals, the worship of anything and everything but God himself that goes on in our culture today. You know, he talks about plastic surgery. Think about the worship of youth. Youth are just not very smart. You know, I was one once, you know, and I wasn't smart. How smart were you? I mean, you know, um, think about it. But we worship youth because like it's a wonderful thing to be young. And we go, well, yeah, everything works except for like your brain. You don't have any wisdom at all. Mm-hmm. All your body parts are great, but man, I tell you what. You know, G.K. Chesterton said it, you know, most succinctly, I think, and it's self-evidently obvious to me, I think, when we look at our world, but all these are connected to the same idea. When we cease to worship God, we not worship nothing, we worship anything. Anything. (laughs) John sent me an article this week about a a woman, a girl, whatever, who was in love with her toy plane and she wanted to marry her toy plane. I thought that is an all new that's an all new level of the degradation of humanity right there. Here's my toy plane. I'm in love with my plane. How tragic. How tragic. Did y'all know, y'all know, what, um, y'all ever seen Japanese art, the anime? Okay, the, the, everybody likes anime and they have all these little creatures and they run around and you have to have grandchildren or great-grandchildren or whatever who do all that. My, my grandson's 24 and he still loves it. But anime, so it's a form of artwork. Do you know there are women in the United States today and in, in Europe who are doing plastic surgery so they can look like anime characters? And if you've ever seen them, they're all pointed and very skinny and they have great big eyes, oversized features and stuff and weird hair and stuff. It's completely unnormal. I mean, it's abnormal. It's not, it's not human looking. It's a cartoon character. But they'd rather be a cartoon character than nobody. Than nobody. Do you not understand we're making people into nobody in our world? By saying you don't matter, you're nothing. Create an identity, be whatever. You're nothing. So go be an go be a, go be a cartoon. Have a cartoon life. Love your plane. Love your kitty. Be a kitty. Meow. When we cease to worship God, we do not worship nothing. We will worship anything. Okay. Let's read the rest of Romans one, and I compare that 
to the illustration of the strawberries and the Photoshop and the videos. Everybody avoids this passage, and I think that's a serious mistake on our part to avoid this passage. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions, whether women exchange natural relations for those that are contrary to nature, and the men exchange natural relations for those that are contrary. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. Now, then we don't read that because we're going, okay, I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. But that text is not really about that. And I want you to keep reading what he says when he keeps talking. Because Paul has a lot to say to us. The church needs to understand truly who we're supposed to be in the middle of this moment. Okay? Who is Jesus in this moment? And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. Again, read the comments on any article in any op-ed online. Read the comments. Okay. They are full of envy and murder and strife and deceit and maliciousness. They are gossips. They are slanderers. They are haters of God. Insolent, haughty, boastful. Inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, and ruthless. How is that not our public society today? How is it not? I mean, I got to tell you, those guys breaking into the Capitol on January 6th, I thought that was real stupid. I, I really did. I thought it was stupid. But I can't get past that they're still held in, in, in without charges in federal prison when other people burn down federal buildings, okay? And I'm like, so, I mean, we're, we're faithless, we're dishonest, we lie about stuff, we hide stuff, gossip, slanders, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, and ruthless. That is our society today, is it not? You know, <laughs> I was in the story the other day, and this lady looked at me, and normally people are real nice. I mean, you know, you try to be polite in stores because you don't ever see them again, right? And he looked at me, and she's like, I'm in front of you. I'm going, I'm pretty sure you're not. I mean, I was like, what? Okay. And I don't think so. And she was like, yes, I am. I'm going, um, okay. <laughs> so anyway, get in front of me. But I mean, like, she was just like, how dare you? I'm up here now. I'm going to get in front of you. I'm like, okay. <laughs> whatever. <laughs> not worth a fight. I'm not, I'm not carrying ice cream. I can wait. Okay. And she's just like, get back. I'm fine. Okay. I'm not always nice. All you have to do is ask the people who are around me. I'm not a very nice person. My temper's about that long, you know? I mean, <laughs> anyway. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, not, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. That's Romans 1, 24 through 32. Don't we applaud one another for the things that we do wrong now? Don't we? There's a lot of that going on in our world. This applause for the things that we do wrong. You know, like I, um, what is the, what is the, the group that um, they finally censored them on Twitter because they were so outrageous. The, the Jane group, or, no, it was for, um, what is it? Ruth Bader Ginsburg. What's it, Ruth? Yeah, well, there's Jane's Revenge. That was one of them, Baby Jane. But then there was the other one on, on Ruth. You know, Ruth sent us or something like that to destroy um, adoption clinics or family assistance clinics, right? Because 
they want to because abortion has been outlawed. My personal favorite is that they said, you know, like um, some of the things were like, we should cheer all this abortion and we should make men have vasectomies. And I read an article, an essay, an, an opinion piece by a man who said, pretty soon we're just going to make all babies in a test tube. And I thought, wow, kind of defeats the purpose, doesn't it? I mean, you know, I'm like. So as long as we can have all the sex we want with anybody we want, and if it doesn't produce a baby, we can make babies in a test tube. How about that? Does that work for you we can design them too. You know about CRISPR technology? Everybody familiar with that? They go in and slice DNA. That'll scare the bejeebers out of you. What do you know about your DNA? What do you know? It is faulty, you guys. You're dying. And they're going to slice that and dice it. And they're going to make it into something else so that you can be dying in a way you never thought of. Because DNA is flawed, is it not? Any one of you getting younger? Stronger, healthier, probably don't want to mess with your DNA now, do you? Because it can only speed up that process of decline. But see, there's no wisdom today. We don't know that. We think that we're smart enough to go in and slice and dice DNA and cut out the bad genes and keep the good ones. We have no humility before creation at all. We think we can control it. And who said that first? It was Francis Bacon 400 years ago who said it first. We can control it. Could you control the floodwaters when they rose? Could you control cancer? What can you control? Not much. We are creatures of death who wager life because we have no idea what it is. Adam and Eve were creatures of life who wagered death because they had no idea what, what, what death was. In the same way, we were, we're the opposite. We don't really know what life really is. Okay? You first have to understand. No, I think I already said that. Never mind. Different page. You know, we're afraid of this passage, and we don't discuss it because we don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. We don't want to insult anybody. And, and I want to say to you, the passage isn't primarily about, um, about who is sleeping with who and who is having sex with whom. It is about a culture that worships the creature and not the creator. And that applies to every last one of us who live in this culture. And it will express itself in all sorts of different ways, right? And express itself in ways that are seen in you and me, in the short tempers, in the ugliness, in the deceitfulness, the lies, the suppression of truth. We will see it in the self-serving and the selfishness that we are. There are so many different ways. Look at what all these slanderers. Y'all have never talked ugly about anybody, have you? There have been people helping me in my house, and, and, I, and I've been irritated more than once by that. And they're helping me, doing me favors and being good to me. And, I, and I, as last night I told my sister, I said, there's a common denominator here. And she said, what's that? I said, it's me. The problem is me. I'm the one who's doing it. Okay. I'm the one who's irritable. Okay. Not them. Nobody else has a problem. I have a problem. Right. What is the common denominator? All this irritation. Oh, it's me. Okay. Excuse me. I say, oh, this doesn't apply to our generation because we're so smart. Thinking ourselves wise, they became fools. I don't see how the argument can be made. I don't see how an argument can be made, you know, um, that this is not, that, that, that there's not a connection between Genesis 3 and modernity. I don't see how you can make that argument. It has to be because they said, oh, we can have all knowledge without God. And so they, 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 they destroyed themselves. They left. They brought sin into the world. Brought death into the world. 
in modernity. We can do it without God, not a problem. Where do you think that's going? How good is that be? We're so smart. We're actively encouraging our society in self-worship. We don't know who we are and we've forgotten who God is and we're completely inauthentic. We don't know what creatures of life look like. Y'all, your father loves you with, an, with, with, with unimaginable love. He loves you unconditionally. Whatever your sins, he's a lot more comfortable with sin than we are. It's, we like sin because we want to be able to say, oh, that's a sin and this is a sin. That, and we can establish a pecking order for ourselves. And God sees only human beings who are not what he had in mind. And that means you and that means me. Okay? Not who we're supposed to be. We have yet to become and yet to see the glory that he would grant us without sin. You know, we see all around us, people are in a desperate search, right? For some sort of sufficient idol that will satisfy the darkened human soul. You see, the, the soul doesn't go away when we, when we ignore it and we don't say anything about it. It doesn't go away. It just starves. It shrivels up and it becomes dark. And it's starving and dying. And I think our society, Western culture in general, is full of that. Let it not be true in the church. Let it not be true among us. Let us be full. Let our, let our souls be full of light and life and love from the kingdom. For that's what your father's gift is to you. To you. Okay? Not so that you can be good, but so that you can pour out through you to the world around you. Don't be pointing out people's sins. Go out and love on the people. You know, the wrath of God is when God lets us have our way. Oh, God is so awful. He's, you know, the wrath of God, that sounds terrible. That's when he withdraws his grace. He says, you wanted this, and you may have it. You wanted this, so you can have it. That's a terrifying reality, is it not? When you really get what you want. I want it, 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 what I want, and it wasn't enough. Did it satisfy your soul? It's never enough. For you're created for fellowship with God. And no amount of idolatry will ever satisfy that. If you look at the list of sins that you read in Romans um, 1, they apply to all of us. These are all symptoms of of a disordered society. They are disordered passions in every human being. Okay who desires to to worship the creature rather than creator, who idolizes the self. That's that's our condition right there. It's seen over and over again everywhere. And there's not a big distinction. All these are just, these are just, this is how you point the way. Oh, look, this society has gotten caught up in the self and not in God. And you can see it in all the expressions. In 1 John 3, well, I don't know, 11 through 13, that this is the message that you have heard from the beginning. And this is important. This is the message you have heard from the beginning. John's writing this. This is the message you've heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, all right, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. John was writing because there were false teachers. And so he's answering the problem of false teachers in this letter. He said, the message you heard from the beginning, this is the message you've heard. Don't let it switch. Don't let them teach you false doctrine. Don't go there. There's heresy in the church where he's writing. 
And it's leading people astray, intentionally leading people astray. The problem with Cain was wickedness, was it not? It was idolatry, self-worship. He said, he brought a, he brought a lesser offering to God. He's like, here, whatever, take this. And God was like, oh, no, me first, I'm God, right? Bring your best to God, not your worst. Don't throw him your leftovers. Y'all ever throw God your leftovers? I did that. And at the end of the day, I'm like, I'm really tired, Lord. I'll read the Bible tomorrow. Gotcha. Okay. Y'all ever do that? I do. I bring leftovers to God all the time. Say, like, good enough? Not really, Elizabeth. Oh, well. The problem with Cain was wickedness, idolatry, self-worship. How is that not our society? We worship the self all the time. Okay. I want you to connect in your mind false teaching, the importance of these connections, false teaching, false doctrines that are accompanied by immorality and idolatry. The three of them go together, all three. Because Cain was unrighteous, was he not? Mm -hmm. So every time that I, Elizabeth Moreau, succumb to a false teaching, then you can see an idol pop up. You can see some sort of immorality pop up. And it may be a small one. The dollar bread goes, oh, that's not a big deal. That's, we all do that. Well, yeah, of course we do. We're all creatures of death and we're all creatures of sin. We all do that. Congratulations. We're in it together. That's all that you're saying. Right? They all three always go together. Idolatry, heresy, immorality. All three. Does the church know this? Do you know this, Christian? You should know this. It was seen in Cain way back in the very beginning. It was rampant in Rome when Paul wrote. And it's everywhere around us today. You know, we think, the thing that I always think is, is we think we're advanced. We're very smart, right? You know, I mean, we're very smart people, right? We think we're advanced. But we're not advanced, we're regressing. We're regressing to the first century, first century Rome. You know, first century Rome, and even before that, Plato, 400 years before that, thought the highest form of love was between a man and a boy. Man and a boy. Aristotle wrote, that would be like, he wrote that women were men that hadn't formed, hadn't formed correctly in the womb. Basically, women were just deformed men, defective men, sort of, so to speak. That's what Aristotle thought. So they, true love occurred between a man and a boy. And a lot of stories between eight and nine-year-old boys involved with the, the men of the time. There's an emperor who had a, 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 a male lover to whom he was so committed, he made him a god. So we say, you know, oh, it's not like it was in the Bible. The Bible's totally different. It doesn't address today. I'm saying, how little do we know about Roman, the Roman Empire? How little do we know about Roman behavior? Did you know, and I think this sounds a lot like most American homes, they had a room in every home. They don't show this on the History Channel. They don't, when you talk about Pompeii, for example, they don't show you this. But every room, all the, all the you know, like um, archaeological stuff, shows they had a room just for sex. Okay, everybody, let's go. With all the, you know, appropriate, you know, I don't know, encouragement, I guess. Pornography is not new, y'all. It's been around forever. Whoop! Okay. I read a book by uh, a David Bennett. He's a young man from Australia, and he eventually went to Oxford and became an Oxford professor. And um, he was a um, warrior for the gay cause. All right? And I mean, he was totally committed to the full acceptance 
of you know homosexuality in the life and the life of the world. Every should be you know whatever. And eventually, in his he comes to Christ, and he eventually, um, the name of the book is A War of Loves. What do I love more? Do I love marriage to a man, or do I love Jesus Christ? And I want you to know when I read his story, I walked away humbled and ashamed at how many times I choose me over Jesus and how hard it is for me to say, okay, I'm going to give up whatever for Lent. And that man in front of the whole world said, I'll be celibate the rest of my life because Jesus means too much. And when Jesus means too much to us, we will have the power to change the world with love. And he means too much for us that we're willing to compromise. He means too much for us, too much that we're willing to like give him up for, for the convenience or the comfort or the ease. When he means that much to us, then he will move across the world. The spirit will be flowing forth from us in power and in might to change the world. But as long as we choose me first, then he can't do that. I read David Bennett's story and thought, I hope that I'm half that holy before I die. And I will tell you that I have been celibate for decades. When I was in the ministry, they told me, they said, are you going to be faithful in marriage or, or, sing, or celibate in singleness? Well, thus far, I am remarried. Therefore, I am still celibate. All right. I think that's easier on women than men, especially older women. <laughs> but anyway, so um, the older you get, less interest. But anyway, never. I don't want to go there. But my point to you remains, right? That they had no problem at all saying to me, you must choose. Okay. Not that I had a ton of offers, you understand. I'm not, I'm not really all that personable, but anyway. So I have never been to a church ever. I never served a church. There's not some man who thought that it was his job to try to, I don't know, win me over, whatever. Well, what? You get a double notch if it's the preacher? Get back. Get back. No. Wrong. I don't consider that like, um, um, what do I say? I don't consider that like a compliment to me, just for the record. So anyway, I look at him and I think, when I read David Bennett's story, I saved it and I read it again and again because I was in awe of his faith. Me, I mean, he, he, was, he loved Jesus that much. Jesus was that real to him. And you know what his advice was to every homosexual person? He said, why don't you get to know Jesus? Don't change your life at all. Don't change your life at all. Spend a whole year getting to know Jesus. Just commit yourself. Don't worry about your sins. Spend a whole year getting to know Jesus. Because until you know Jesus, nothing's worth it. And I'll say to you, church, if you want to know how to minister to your world, get to know Jesus really well. Draw really close. And then you can tolerate everybody's sins because you know you got a ton of your own. Right? And don't be, don't be pointing at everybody else's sin. Okay? Because you got enough for you. All right. When I was in seminary, they had a bumper sticker and, and, and it said, you know, we'll catch him, let him clean him or something. I thought, oh, that's terrible. You got to be telling people right from wrong. I've been living long enough telling people right from wrong. I don't help them at all. God can lead them to who they become. If you only lead them to Christ, that's your task. God didn't invite you to judge everybody. He invited you to bring them to him. And our church, I don't know about Kingwood. I'm not talking about Kingwood, but I'm just talking the American church. An American Christianity, it's superficial, it's inauthentic, it's comfortable. And we follow the crucified king. What I would say to you is that you're living a life of death when you're supposed to be a creature of life. Don't live that way. Don't, don't give into that. 
Don't be satisfied with that. Choose Christ. Because that's where life is. You want daily to touch eternity. You want daily to be filled with life. You want daily to be cleansed anew and start afresh every day. Okay? You don't want to be spending all your time being angry at people. You want to spend all your time. Oh, yeah, people driving. Wow. Okay. You don't want to spend your time being angry. I was driving down the road the other day and I don't even know what I did. I pulled out and I into my own lane and there was a car coming by and this person gave me the waved at me. And I'm like, oh, I think that they hit the horn and I went, wow, okay. And they were nowhere near me. Okay. And then and then they slowed down and I never looked. I wouldn't I refused to look over. I'm like, I'm not gonna get in the middle of this. And I'm driving down in this, and they're two lanes away from me, slowing down so they can get my attention. And I want to go, I'm not paying attention at all. They hit the horn and I saw the hand wave as they sped up. Now, what is your life that you're so angry? Why are you so angry? That's what we're breeding in our culture. Why are you so angry? Why are you so lonely? Why do you need to be mean? You know, why do you want to hurt other people? Why? I don't know. We find ourselves only in the light of Jesus Christ. That's it. Only there. You know, when our minds are renewed, when our minds are transformed, right? Then we can finally see, you know, we can see what is the will of God and we can do it. We'll know right from wrong, do good from bad. You can have the mind of Christ. And we may have it however limitedly we do because we're, we're finite and God is infinite. We only have this much of the mind of Christ, but we have the mind of Christ. I'll stop talking in a minute. I'm down very end. I have some verses, but I won't read. Okay. Anyway, what I want to say to you today and every day is choose Christ above all else. Choose Christ over and over again. Go back to Jesus over and over again. Until you can love like David Bennett loves and be so full of, of Jesus that it matters more than everything else. Everything. Choose Christ. Okay. Every day. So that life will not be yours. I'm absolutely certain that our nation and our people are being led astray. You only have to watch the news at night on any channel. It doesn't matter. You can choose conservative news. You can choose progressive news. You can choose... Idiot news, I don't care. It doesn't matter. We're being led away from Jesus Christ. So the world around us, every time we move away from God, what, what, 